Okay, Evan, you have known your one for a while. What have been some of your next steps in that relationship? Yeah. So uh, my uh, one, we've hung out a bunch. What's cool is that, you know, we're in proximity with each other. Like I see my one weekly. And so we catch up every time we get together. And I feel like one of the best things that we can do is like think of how we can be intentional. Like every time we get together, what's one intentional step that I can take with my one? Maybe even like a baby step. Decided to get some wings together one evening and I prompted that with him. Hey, let's, you know, let's go out and get some wings. And uh, I knew going into that, that I was gonna ask him that Christianity scale question, like the one to 10. And it was gonna, like we talked about some spiritual things, but this was gonna be the first time I was gonna hear like where he thought he was at. And so uh, we kind of just naturally got into it. And I said, you know, where, where would you say you're at? Like one to 10 in like your, your faith journey. And he said he was a six. Do you feel like all of your next steps involve faith or are some of them just let's hang out more, just let's invest in one another more? I don't need faith to come up in every single conversation. Like a lot of the intentionality is just being present. Like if you lose that regularity, you lose some of the opportunities to be authentic and asking questions about faith. Because we've crossed that line where he's told me where he's at, um, I know when things come up through seasons of the church or things that we're doing as a family, like that they would be open. There's, no, there's not a resistance to church uh, events, things that would happen in or around the church. When you take intentional steps with your one, asking in questions that you're planning for, that you wanna take a baby step when you get together, it can really help clarify what comes next uh, rather than just guessing. Thank you, Evan. Thank you, Shaley, for modeling this concept of next steps as we talk about what to do next with your one life, your one as you invest in them. Today is all about talking about discerning our next steps. Hey, speaking of modeling, though, did you notice that he's modeling in that video some of the Venture merch that we have available out in the lobby today? He's not the only model. They... Uh, they dressed me in one today as well. So this is one of the uh, t-shirts that you can purchase out there. You'll notice that it's modeling our mission statement here at Venture. And actually, this probably shows you a pretty good um, oh sneak peek of what the next few weeks are going to be about here at Venture. This middle statement right here that we, uh, what does it say? It says, we share generously. This is going to be what we're talking about in two weeks. We're kicking off a brand new sermon series in a couple of weeks. It's called Too Much is the name of the series. Living with less in the land of more. Super practical how to honor God by sharing generously with your life, your time, your talent, your resources. Don't miss that. It kicks off in two weeks. But for the next two weeks, this week and next Sunday, we're all about how we invest well with our one. And the other two taglines in our mission statement speak well to this. First of all, you've got love courageously. We love well. Through the lens of relationship, we love well with our ones. And then down here, we've got speak truthfully. Once we've done this, we've shared generously with their lives together. We have an opportunity at some point to speak truthfully. This is what we're going to talk about today, discerning when is the right time to lean into that part of the conversation. 
Okay, so uh, I love this time of year. I don't know about you, but I think fall is my favorite. I'm a four seasons guy. I'm sorry, I love central Indiana. I know some of you can't wait to fly south for the winter. Not me, I like all four seasons. I love this time of year as the, the Christmas in the air and the leaves changing their color. I was thinking about falls this past week. And I was remembering a specific fall about 20 years ago. It was a Sunday morning like today. And there was a gentleman in our church at the time we were serving down in Bloomington, Indiana. And this gentleman, his name is Mark, he's a pilot. He came up to me and said, hey, Stan, you want to go to New York tomorrow? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't even have an, yes. I, whatever I had going on tomorrow, we'll, we'll switch that around. I grabbed on two other couples in our church and all six of us, got on a plane early Monday morning and flew to New York. He was doing like a corporate, picking up a corporate client and flying them back to Bloomington. And so he took us on the front side of the, the trip and on the back side of that, we got to fly back home all in the same day, New York City. It was amazing. We showed up at the hangar before the sun came up. I bet you didn't know that Bloomington has an airport. I didn't until that moment. Showed up before the sun came up. We're hanging out in the uh, hangar and sipping some coffee. And he said, well, are we ready to go? And I'm looking around for the TSA agents, you know, the full body cavity search. And nobody's there, you know, to harass me. We just walked onto the plane. And he fired it up. We take off. We're in the sky. We're in the sky for maybe 15 minutes. And he hollers back, hey, do you want to fly the plane? Yes, yes I do. Put me in coach, I'm ready to play. He didn't really let me fly the plane, but I got to sit in the co-pilot seat and kind of feel the yoke. I got to play my favorite uh, dad jokes, like what's this lever do, what's this button do? Can I? He didn't find it funny, just like my kids don't find it funny, but I got to do that on the way there. We land the plane, Newark, across the river from New York, and uh, they literally rolled out the red carpet. We walked off of this private plane onto red carpet. Hailed a taxi, magical day in the city. You've got Central Park. We went down to the, uh, the uh, uh, Empire State Building. This was not long after 9-11. We went down and honored that space and looked at what was going on down there. It was a magical time one day in New York City. But my favorite part of the day, bar none, happened that night. It started about midday. We were looking for lunch. Stopped at the Hello Deli. Some of you know what this means, the Hello Deli. Right around the corner from the Ed Sullivan Theater at the time, David Letterman, one of Indiana's own, was still doing his thing here. Here's a picture actually to prove that I was there. Walked out and bumped into Pat Pharma, and do you recognize Biff Henderson? They were just kind of hanging out out there. I'm wearing an Illinois uh, t-shirt, and we started talking, Pat Pharma and I started talking about Illinois football. He's a stagehand for David Letterman. He said, hey, do you have tickets for tonight? Nope. We'll make that happen. It was amazing. They gave us tickets. We didn't have to wait in line like the rest of the schmucks. We showed up at a specific time. They walked us in. We sat down right on the front row. The, uh, the, the guest that night was Patricia. Is it Heaton, her last name? She was the gal, and everybody loves Raymond. An amazing show. They did a top 10 list that night. How many of you David Letterman fans remember the top 10 list? I lived for these as a kid. I loved these. What I want to share with you, as we think about one life, what are the top 10 pushbacks to this one life thing that we're talking about? 
Some of these, me, some of my staff have actually heard some of these from you. Some of these, we just know that these are classic pushbacks to the idea of sharing my faith, evangelism. These are classic. And I know sometimes we, we push back like we just, we really push back and say, I don't want to do that. Sometimes these are really just kind of more felt. We feel them. And then if we just give way to that, it becomes what we do. And so let's just acknowledge them, shall we? Can we just kind of throw these out here on the table and discuss the top ten pushbacks for even engaging on this one life process? So if I could have a drum roll, please. You can join in if you'd like. Little drum roll action there. All right, what's number ten? Top ten one life pushbacks. Here we go. Spiritual conversations are awkward. They can be. They really can be, especially if we take our Christian subculture and we make it awkward. We make it weird. For example, speaking of New York City, how many of you remember the show Seinfeld? Anybody remember this show? One of my favorites. I loved this show. There's this moment where Elaine, if you know the show, starts dating a Christian, a super Christian, a hyper Christian. David Putty is his name. They're having this conversation. It gets real awkward real fast. Check this out. So where do you want to eat? Feels like an Arby's night. Arby's beef and cheese and... Do you believe in God? Yes. Oh. So you're pretty religious. That's right. So is it a problem that I'm not really religious? Not for me. Why not? I'm not the one going to hell. <laughs> All right. I love how he just drops that line and then just turns around and walks out. I'm not the one going to hell. Talk about making it awkward, right? So, yeah, this is a legitimate pushback. I, sometimes these conversations, it just, faith is intensely personal. I hold it personal. Well, if that is the pushback, can I just say this? Don't make it awkward. Don't be David Putty in those conversations. Be real. Be genuine. Be honest. Have these conversations inside the context of genuine, authentic relationship. Sincere friendship. Here's number nine, if we want to drum roll on this one. What's the number nine uh, top ten one-life pushbacks? Here we go. This feels like an evangelism formula. What we're doing right now, it feels like awfully programmed. We should be more organic. Okay. I mean, what we're coaching you toward is not standing out on the street corner handing out tracts. By the way, I have done that in New York City. And I have stood there on the street corner handing out tracts and literally watched nine or more out of ten people pick it up, walk five feet, throw it in the trash can, or really just kind of throw it on the ground, not even have the respect of putting it in the trash can. That's not what we're calling you toward. What we're calling you toward here, well, as you're going to hear me say here in a few minutes, let the Holy Spirit inform your next steps. Let him guide you in this. That's organic. That's not too formulaic. Actually, could I just say this? You could add the word relationally in front of each of the three Ds that we're talking about, right? Develop friendships. 
relationally develop friendships. How about discover stories? Do that in the context of relationship. And relationally, as we're going to discover here in a minute, discern next steps. If this feels like an evangelism formula, let's push back on that. Evangelism is not a one-size-fits-all idea here. We can't rely too heavily on our favorite form or method of evangelism, but any reasonable method can work within the context of a caring relationship. The opposite is also true. Without a relationship, our evangelism is likely to be ineffective, if not actually counterproductive. Sometimes I wondered if I was more harm than good in that moment shoving a tract in somebody's face as they were walking down the street in New York City. How about number eight? Top ten pushbacks. Number eight, I don't know enough yet. I mean, I don't know enough about all of this Jesus stuff yet to be effective. I don't know. I don't know if I buy that one. Oftentimes, and actually statistics would bear this out, oftentimes the newest converts to faith are the best evangelists. Maybe it's because we're on fire in that moment. We just want to tell everybody our story. It could also be be because we have authentic relationships. The longer you're inside the church, maybe the less non-churched people you know. And when you're new to faith, You've got some significant relationships in your life that you can encourage and share with them sincerely about your relationship with Jesus. How about number seven? Number seven, this is, this is remedial. What we're talking about, I already know all of this. Okay, it kind of is. But here's my question. Are you doing it? Are you doing it? When legitimately is the last time you shared your faith, the thing you care about most in the world, when's the last time you shared that with somebody that you love? Somebody that you're in sincere relationship with? When's the last time? Here's the thing. Evangelism will never happen without intentionality. I say it this way. I already know way more about the Bible and the things of God than I'm willing to be obedient to. This is remedial. Yeah, but are we doing it? Number six, I don't want my one life to feel like a project. I appreciate the heart behind that. I really appreciate the heart behind that. And, and the question is, how do you identify your one life without turning them into a project? Well, again, I would say this is about authentic relationship. By the way, evangelism will never happen without intentionality. You know, we can say, I want to lose some weight or I want to save some money for a thing, but unless we put some, like, real intentionality behind those goals, we put some systems around those goals, we might mean well, but we also might never do those things. The same is true with evangelism. We don't want to turn them into a project, but we really want to do this. We want to be intentional about it. How about this one? It's similar to that. Number five, what if my one life learns that they are my one? Well, I hope you're doing this inside the context of intentional relationship. Maybe you want to tell them that they are your one. I suspect if this is something that you believe to the depth of your core, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. The gospel message, oh my goodness, I get to spend eternity in heaven with God because I've asked him to be Lord and Savior of my life. If you believe this to your core, 
Wouldn't your one life be honored to know that the thing that means the most to you, you want to share that, you want to do that life together with them? How about this one, number four? I feel like a failure because my one life is not responding. Okay, all right. Well, we're going to talk about some of those next steps here in just a moment. Maybe a follow-up question would be, can I pick another one life? I mean, some people really, they just don't respond to the message. Some people don't. And the answer to that is, of course. Yeah, you can do that. You could pick another one life to invest in. Don't give up on the first. Keep praying for them. Seek opportunities to infect their life with the Jesus that has infected yours. But sometimes, sometimes people aren't responsive, and you need to take that intentionality, and you need to push it another direction. Number three, this is complex, and I like my life simple. I mean, yeah, this is complex. By the way, if you want to complicate your life as a Christian, get involved in the lives of non-Christians. You want to make your life a little bit more complicated Start spending time with people who are far from God, who maybe don't view the world the same way you view it or view practices, the things that you do with your life the way that you do. Get involved with somebody like that and see if that doesn't stretch you, if that doesn't push you just a little bit. But that's a good thing. Here's a a pushback. Number two, you're just trying to grow the church. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Not for us, not for Venture's glory, but this is a kingdom thing. This is not just a more rear ends in our seats. This is a kingdom thing. There's this quote, uh, there's a book that Francis Chan wrote just a couple of years ago. Perhaps you know this book. It's called Until Unity. This is, uh, this is one of those quotes that hits you between the eyes. Like a marriage that has no purpose, many churches have forgotten the point of their existence. They can quickly focus on the complaints of their people rather than on the cries of the lost. As a pastor, a shepherd of a flock, this captures my attention. We get more emotional over Christians leaving to go to a different church than we do about people dying and going to hell. Yikes. Something is horribly wrong when we grieve more deeply over people rejecting us than those who reject their Messiah. Are we trying to grow the church? Yeah. We're trying to grow God's kingdom because hell is real and heaven is real. And God wants to use us to move as many as can from the first to the second. By the way, I give you permission. If you're thinking, well, Stan, this is just about growing venture and growing our little slice of the kingdom. Listen, I give you full permission to not bring your one to church. If you honestly believe that the Holy Spirit is telling you that that's not their best step, then maybe wait a while. That's not the goal of this. The goal is to grow heaven, not to grow venture. Number one. Number one, top ten, pushback. This takes too long. I think that's a legitimate pushback. It does take a while when we lean into severe or authentic relationships. It takes a while. This is a microwave, not a microwave strategy, but rather a crockpot strategy. Relationship. Now, this, though, can have a couple of different meanings, I think. Sometimes we say this takes too long, and maybe we mean what I just addressed. It's crockpot, not 
microwave, but it also could have this meaning. I'm afraid that oftentimes when we say that, this is what we mean. Maybe the real number one pushback is, I don't have time. Which is maybe just a polite way of saying, yeah, I hear you. I've been to all six weeks of this, but I don't really want to do this. To which my reply to you would be simple. You kind of need to take that up with Jesus. When you ask Jesus to be Lord of your life, it means you say, God, I'm willing to do whatever you call me to do. And he was pretty clear about this. His parting words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven in Matthew chapter 28 were these, Therefore, go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, I don't want to get too heady with this, but the Greek phrase there is panta ethnes. All nations is one way of translating that, but really it gets down into the granular level. Those words mean every tribe and tongue and language and people group and every subculture group. You really could take this and push it down into your neighborhood. God has called you to be a missionary, a local missionary, to bloom exactly where he's planted you. You're saying, I don't have time or I don't really want to do this. I would say take it up with Jesus because he's called you to do this. Jesus is Lord of your life. If he is, when he says to do it, we're called to do it. So let's get into it. Let's discern some next steps, shall we? So for the whole last month, we've been pushing you toward a training opportunity. In the month of November, we've currently got five of these scheduled. We want to pack each one. We'll create more opportunities if we need to to get everybody who calls Venture their church home to take the next step to come to one of these trainings where we can train you up more on how to invest well in your one life. You have one life to live. Who's the one life you're investing in? So we've got a QR code that's going up on the screen. If you have not yet signed up for this, pull your smartphone out, put the the picture on there and click on that link or maybe just go straight to that quick link. You can sign up there. Can I also encourage you this? If you're in a small group, maybe you want to have a conversation with your small group, let's all pick a day. Let's go to the training together. This is going to be a good thing to do even inside the context of community. Bottom line is we're challenging everybody to do this. Why? We've talked about this verse several times. Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I've only got one life to invest. Who's the one life? Right now, who is God burning on my heart? Because it matters. Eternity is literally at stake. You might remember two weeks ago that we talked about this strategy of 3D1 each week. Let's go ahead and put that graphic up. The first week we talked about how step one is to develop relationships, develop friendships. Take it deep, friendships. And to circle this 3D1 model, last week we talked about we're discovering stories. Once we have a friendship, we want to discover their stories. Sometimes that means we just shut up and we listen as they talk. And then ultimately, we have to discern next steps. What do we do with this? How do we take this further as God calls us to do it? If you've got your One Life journal with you, go ahead and pull it out. I'm on page 76 if you want to jot some notes down there. Because with the remainder of the time that I have today, I want to share with you that One Life, this One Life action step that God is calling us to, well, think of it, think of it like a two-act play. Act one, 
Act two. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here is the first act of this two-act play. Be available. Be available and then obedient to the Holy Spirit's prompting. That's all we're asking you to do. As God's Spirit prompts you, well, you make yourself available, and then you follow with obedience. If he says to do it, if he says jump, you ask how high on the way up. Now, we're going to spend some time in Acts chapter 8, but before we get there, I want to take us on a little journey that's going to get us there to that passage. Let's pull out some of the threads of Scripture. If you want to go to page 1090 in those seat backs in front of you in that Bible, page 1090. Let's start in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You've got people huddled together in an upper room just waiting. God, what are you launching on the world right now? What is this one life momentum movement that you're calling us to be a part of? Here's what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit... Remember, we want to be available and obedient to the Holy Spirit's prompting. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is literally like the the, the vision statement of the book of Acts. Because as you read the rest of the book, that's exactly what is happening. The Great Commission is restated by Jesus right here in the book of Acts. Matthew 28, revisited in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And if you want to go ahead and uh, jump ahead to chapter 5 and then chapter 6, in Acts 6, people are hearing about Jesus and their lives are being changed. The church is thriving. The church is growing like crazy. And it's growing so much that ministry sometimes is being overlooked. And so they call together a group of men. Well, actually, the text says this. The 12 disciples summoned uh, all of the followers of Jesus, and they said it, would be not, it wouldn't be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. So select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. There's some widows in the church that are not getting fed food. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and they chose Philip along with five other guys. We're going to look at Stephen, and we're going to look at Philip. But notice this. Because of this intentionality, because of this kind of doubling down on systems, they're sharing the good news of Jesus. The gospel message is going out, but because they recruit other people to share in the duties, share in the work that desperately needs to be done, because of good systems put in place, because of this decision, Acts chapter 6, verse 7 says this, so the word of God spread. Because of that, the word of God spread. And the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. I don't know about you, but I read that the first time, and I think, well, of course, a bunch of priests are going to be obedient to the faith. But think about that. What priests are they talking about there? This would be akin to one life catches here in our community. One life infects one life infects one life. And the story played out here would be we baptize a whole bunch of rabbis from the local synagogue. That's the kind of priests we're talking about here. It's a different world faith. These are Jewish priests And this is the story of the birth of Christianity. Do you get what a big deal that is? I um, 
I know in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, it uses these words, all the believers were together and held all of their things in common. And so we see a picture here of unity, and we see how that births a movement. Have you ever been wearing your Colts gear, and you're in a different city? One of my boys I shared with you a few weeks ago, Eric, is a fanatic for the Colts. It's pretty much all of the clothing he has is blue and white. And I noticed it in particular last summer. We were on a trip to Buffalo, New York. We went to see Niagara Falls, and he was wearing what he always wears, And I was just watching him walking around. It's different now that he's older and he's bigger. And when he was little, I think there was all kinds of grace for that. But when you're walking around in another city wearing the opposing team's gear, you get some looks, and sometimes people even say things to you. In the New Testament, as this one life initiative caught fire, Christians start to get noticed, kind of like a Colts fan in Buffalo. Christianity wasn't the dominant religion in Jerusalem. There was opposition. In fact, Stephen, remember one of the seven that we just looked at, was the first person to be chosen to serve the community of disciples. He stood up against that opposition. Some of the Jewish leaders were saying, hey, wait a minute, no, 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 no. This is not cool, what you're doing. And Stephen stood up against that. Acts chapter 1, there's this incredible speech from him. And um, he becomes the the first martyr. He's killed for his faith. We see Saul, in verse 1, agreed with putting Stephen to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Do you see what's happening here? The persecution led to the decentralization of the disciples, which led to the expansion of the church to Judea and Samaria, and ultimately toward the ends of the earth. Stephen was... Well, what was the first act? Be available and obedient to the Spirit's prompting. Stephen was. And because of that, we see the gospel message going forward. More and more one lives are impacted. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, we see another one of those seven that were chosen. His name is Philip. And we see put on display here that Philip was available and obedient to the Spirit's prompting. We talked about this this past week in your small group, if you're tracking along in the One Life material in that journal. There's this moment in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, where Philip is doing what God has called him to do. He's being obedient to the Holy Spirit's prompting. He's available, and let's just see what happens. Verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up. Okay, I'm available. Now I'm going to be obedient. Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. It's this major highway connecting Israel with the key Mediterranean ports of the area. So what did he do? He was available. He was obedient. He got up and he went. Now, there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch. We probably spent some time in our small groups this past week talking about what that means. There's all kinds of reasons why an official in uh, the high office of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury, he had come to worship in Jerusalem. There's a reason why she had eunuchs serving in her close service. And if you stop and think about that, it has to do with his lineage, and you don't want a usurper coming up and taking over the kingdom, plus for her safety. 
This is part of the strategy. This is who this man was. And Philip is obedient. Verse 26, we keep reading, or 28. He got up and went, he's heading to Jerusalem. He was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, told Philip, go and join that chariot. So Philip does that. Listen, when you are discerning next steps, here's the call to action for all of us. We're called to be available and obedient to the Spirit's prompting. When he says go, go. And then when you have the opportunity, as you're investing in your one life, when the opportunity arises, and if you're praying about this, you're going to know it when it happens, then, then you show them Jesus. We see this modeled in the life of Philip. Verse 30, when Philip ran up to it, the chariot, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. You talk about the ball being placed on a wiffle ball tee. And Philip swings well. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? I know about that text. Do you understand what you're reading? And they answered, how can I? Unless somebody guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Oh, isn't this interesting? There's a moment as you're investing with your one. As you talk about discerning next steps, there's going to be a moment when they ask a question. Elaine asked Putty. I mean, you talk about putting the ball right here and all you have to swing at it. I mean, he could have answered that question in a much kinder way. There's an opportunity. And when you get the opportunity, show them Jesus. How can I unless somebody guides me? Gets up and he sits down with him. And this is the passage. The scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before his shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. The guy is stuck in one of the key passages about Jesus in the Old Testament. And here's the next verse. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or somebody else? And Philip says, I'm glad you asked. And Philip proceeded to tell him the good news, the gospel about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. He starts talking about animal sacrifice and the Old Testament sacrificial system and how Jesus, like a sheep, was sacrificed. And he did that for us. Philip's saying, he did that for me. And you, my friend, he did that for you as well. So Philip is done at that point, right? Philip has shined his light. It's a two-act play. Remember, number one is be available and obedient to the Spirit's prompting. But the second act is this. Shine your light. Shine your light and then trust God with the results. Remember, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, not Philip's power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit, not your power that's put on display. Let's keep reading verse 36. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? Great question. Nothing. Stop the chariot. So verse 38, he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. 
And then the next verses say that the Spirit of God carried Philip away, and he was preaching the gospel then all over the towns until he came to the port city of Caesarea, which was his original destination. Some amazing things happen when we are available and obedient to the Spirit's prompting. And then when we shine our light and we trust God with the results. Let me just encourage with you. This, don't, don't overcomplicate this. Don't make this a bigger deal than it has to be. It's simply being available and then obedient. And then when you get the opportunity to shine your light, here are some very practical ways you can live this out. First of all, be praying. Are you praying about people who are far from God? Pray. Invite God into this space in your life, these conversations, and then simply listen for God's voice. Then don't resist what God is saying that you're supposed to do. Then you talk to God about our non-Christian friends. And then we talk to non-Christians about God. This is not rocket science. This is simple. We walk in God's will. We already established this is what he's calling us to do. If he's Lord of your life, this is what you're called to do. Use the gifts that God has given you to make Jesus known. He's given you specific gifts. Lean into those opportunities. Leverage that for his glory, for his kingdom expansion. Ask God to use you. Maybe ask a friend if there's anything that you can pray for them about. Maybe there's a way to discern your next step with a one life. It is a constant life full of loving God and loving others. This is simple, and yet it's profound. The important first step is having our own intimate relationship with Jesus. The more we're connected to Jesus, the easier it is to hear his voice and to trust him when he calls us to act. When we're available and obedient to the Spirit's prompting, I see that there are three types of people God's sending you uh, your way. Let me put these up on the screen here. Three types of people you've got, people who are a no, people who are a show, and people who it's a go for you. No, show, go. Let's put up the next slide. What's this mean? Well, if it's no, you're called to intercede. If it's show, you're called to invest. If it's go, you're called to invite. Are you tracking with me? Probably not. Let's put the last slide up here. If you're praying, you're sincerely asking God, is this somebody you want me to invest in? And you're hearing no. Remember, there's the passage where Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered the seed, but God caused it to grow. We're all farmers. God is calling us to be a part of this harvest that he's producing. But there are folks, really, it's, your job is to pray for them. And so if the answer God is saying, no, no, that's not the one life I'm pushing you toward, then you intercede. You keep praying for that person, but you move on to the next opportunity. Maybe it's show. God's saying, yeah, this is somebody I want you to invest in. And you invest in them as a friend. Don't make it weird. Don't make it awkward. Make it honest. Make it real. Make it doing life together. And at some point in the middle of that investment, at some point as you're showing, as you're shining your light to them, there's an opportunity that God's going to green light. And it's going to be like that wiffle ball that gets stuck on the tee. Your job at that point is just to swing at it. They're going to ask you a question. They're going to give you opportunity to shine a spotlight on Jesus 
And that's invite them. Invite them to follow in this Jesus life that you are following. And call them to be a part of this great adventure that he's called you to be a part of. Here's what I'm asking you to do. God nudges. When the Holy Spirit nudges you, when he says, hey, I want you to talk to that person. Hey, I want you to invest in that person. Hey, I want you to go and be a part of shining my light in their life. Then be willing. Be available. Be a follower of Jesus. You have one life to invest. Who is the one life you're investing in? I'm going to put that QR code back up on the screen another time. If you have not yet signed up for the training, I call you to that. Do that the month of November. Get to one of those. We want to resource you well and send you off into this one life journey well. And can I just say this? Next week. Next Sunday, don't miss next Sunday. We're going to have a moment in the service where we pray over this and we really kind of commission each other in this one life journey. There's got to be a moment when you take a light bulb and you write the initials of the person that God has placed on your heart that you're supposed to be investing in as a one life journey. You're going to write just their initials on there, and you're going to screw in that light bulb. You're going to watch it go from dark to light, and you're going to begin to double down on the next steps of praying for that person and looking for opportunities to invest deeper in their life. That's next week. Don't miss that. I started this message talking about New York. I've been to New York several times in my life. I told you a story last week from a trip to New York. One of the first times I was ever in New York City, actually it was the first time I was in New York City, was for a mission trip. How many of you have been on a short-term mission trip? Let me see your hands. I love short-term mission trips. I love the opportunity to step outside of my immediate culture and kind of go on mission. Jesus, I'm looking for opportunities to serve you well. And so I remember being in New York City, and I mentioned it earlier, we were passing out tracts on the street corner. We were working in a homeless shelter. There was a church plant that we were part of helping and encouraging and doing some work, painting and that kind of thing for them. I love short-term mission trips. But my question would be, why don't we live like that all the time? Why not? I like short-term mission trips, especially when they put us on fire and we come back here and we look around our neighborhood and we look around our workplace, we look around our families and we start to see one life's everywhere we look. When we go on mission and it puts us on mission right back here, I think there's some beauty to that. Don't fly over one life's looking for a one life that you can invest in for a week. But maybe do that as an opportunity to fuel you up and fire you up to come back here and do just that. You have one life to invest. Who's the one life you're investing in? Your neighbor, your coworker, somebody in your family desperately needs Jesus. And you have a hope of heaven. Are you investing in them? Let me end with this. I want to pray. I've taken a liberty here, though. 
that passage we read from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let me restate it just a little bit for here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be God's witnesses in Carmel, in all Hamilton County, Judea and Marion County, maybe Samaria and the greater Indianapolis area and central Indiana and our whole state to America and to the ends of the earth. Would you stand up with me? Let's pray. God, this has been a journey, but we're not there yet. We have action steps. Lord, as we seek to discern what the next step is for the people that you have nudged us, that you've whispered in our ear, you said, hey, I want you to invest in this one life to push your kingdom forward. God, give us boldness, give us courage, give us wisdom. We want to do this right. We want to follow you well. It's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray.